Welcome to the Reluctant Agilist. So every year for the past several years, I get to go to the Agile Conference in the summer and I interview people. And this summer, they didn't have it. So it's been kind of a drag because I didn't get to connect with people the way I usually do. And one of my favorite things about each summer is I get to interview Joanna Rothman. She's always one of the first people I interview because it's a great way to kick off the conference. And every year she's got a new book. And I'm always like, damn, I can't believe you're another book. Like one book a year. That's crazy. And so this morning I was thinking like, well, I'm going to start this podcast off and I'm going to say all you people who said you were going to be productive when the pandemic started, you were going to use all this time and you were going to write a book. Joanna's written three. And then we started and I said, I want to shame everybody because they haven't written a book and you've written three and she's written more than three books. Yeah, but I also told you, you were not allowed to shame anybody. I'm not. I'm not. I wanted to inspire all the people who've been sitting around talking about all the things they're going to do. Oh, I, you know, I think that there are so many people who are just trying to hang on by their fingernails. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, all right. So let me, I want to start, I guess, with that question then. Um, before we talk about the books. So this pandemic has been super weird. And I was talking to somebody yesterday and I'm like, you know, a lot of days I'm like super productive and cause I'm pretty introverted and I'm happy to be home, but there are days where I like, just, it's like, I just skipped right off the tracks and I'm just starting like the creeps and I'm like, oh, it's never going to end. It's never going to end. Like as somebody who's working remotely, are you having, do you occasionally have those days where it kind of seeps in and how do you talk yourself down? Oh God. Yes. <laughs> I I had one last week and it's so I mean it's it's not something I normally have yeah. but that doesn't matter cuz I'm human. So, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I just there are days when I say, I mean, I get out of bed and I get dressed and I start and I sit down at the computer and I say, "Oh, what's the point?" so everybody has these and i don't have i don't have children living at home thank god so yeah i think that um my husband is much calmer than i am he is more sane than i am i mean in many many ways and he even said it's a good thing our kids are grown up and moved out. So, <laughs> I, and you have, don't you have a daughter in home? Yeah. So my daughter, I mean, yeah. I, I would say, so we just had this conversation the other day. I was like, are you doing okay with this? And I said, you know, I've, I just had a day yesterday where I like completely lost my expletive and it just like out of nowhere, I'm like, Oh no. And um, she, you know, she has those days too. But to me, um, I like that we're able to talk about it. Like to, I think yeah. that's a, an important thing is to be able to to say to the people you live with, like, yeah, today's the day I'm going to completely lose my nut and you're just going to have to hold me together till tomorrow and then I'll be fine. Yeah, yeah. And I I find that I have, I really have stopped um, doom scrolling. I spend less than <laughs> my, less time. My wife does that. <laughs> oh, less and less time on social media. Um, I, I was never that big on social media to begin with. And now, wow, it's really way less. Um, yeah. I keep lo- I keep looking for good news. There's none. <laughs> well, no, no, Actually, no. Actually, no. Every day we're one day closer to all of this being over. <laughs> <laughs> well, and there's local good news. That's right? true. So I bet there's good news in your neighborhood. And there's good news in your town. And... Let's not go to the states of the country. That's that's too big. <laughs> um, well, you, I but, think you have to find, you have to seek out the sources that help you feel like there's hope. Yeah, yeah, and I I find that there is. I, I mean, I am. You you have been very kind to me over the years. Not talking about how gray my hair gets. <laughs> how I, gray so, her. My hair gets every single year. <laughs> I purposely avoid that topic, but to me, that is one of the most amazing things about you is that you're the most productive person that I know, but you're not the youngest person that I know. No. Um, is productivity a function of being young? No, no, but but I do think that um, it would be 
it wouldn't be surprising for me to see somebody who's been productive for as long as you've been productive to kind of wind down a little bit as they got older, but you oh. wind up. And to me, <laughs> yeah. but it's like, I, this is a question that I always want to ask because I find it, I'm, we're totally off the topic, but yeah, um, that's fine. <laughs> I, I am, I look at people like you, you know, and, and Esther and some of the other folks of the earlier generation, like, God, I, I'm amazed by it. like, how am I, where am I going to be? looking to stay that vibrant and exciting and inspiring when I'm that, when I get to that age, because I, you're like my role models and I want to be that revved up about stuff. And I'm just, it's, I, I feel like we all owe you a debt of gratitude and it's all something that I never want to say, but um, it, it is, it is appreciated and it's a great motivator. Well, thank you. And um, I think that, what keeps me going is my clients. All right. I have, I have great clients, even when, um, and you, I suspect, have the same problem that I will say right now. Even when I have had to answer this particular question 50 times in the last two months, yep. or worse, 50 times in the last two hours. Yeah. Um, these people are trying to do the best job they can. And it's my job to support them in exploring all the ways that they could do the best job that they can. So yeah. my clients, um, uh, they really give me a lot of energy. Even, even when I come home and say to my poor husband, they asked me that question again. <laughs> Right, and then he, right after I gave them the answer, they asked me right, the question. Right. <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah. And I, I think that, so this is something very interesting. Um, you call this show the reluctant agilist. Yeah. But you are more agile in your approach than even before you became, quote, the reluctant, end of quote, agilist. You were more, you exhibited more agility than most of the people I see who have adopted a specific agile approach. Oh, maybe. That's fear, though. It's yeah. all driven by fear. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm not sure why, but that's well, fine. Well, when I was a project manager, I didn't, I hate, I did hated agile. I thought it was just excuses, but um. I became scared of the fact that I was going to become irrelevant or that I missed. I missed something that changed that I didn't see. And I felt like, yeah. oh my gosh, all these all these smart people have jumped the ship. Why haven't I jumped the ship? Um, and I think everything in my life, it's no matter how sure I am in my opinion, I always want to challenge it and question it because there always might be something else that I didn't see that could help me make a better decision. Yeah. Well, and I think I'm I'm doing a series of, uh, blog posts about life cycles on my okay. blog right now. Um, I'll give you the link when we're done with this. And I'm, I'm realizing that the, not just quote the internet made a big difference, but, but the our ability to release more often has totally changed how we even look at everything, and that that one piece that yes. High-speed internet totally changed. Yeah. It has changed the way we think about everything from projects to the project portfolio um, to iterating on, on experiments and creating prototypes to um, – did I say the project portfolio already? Yeah, I'll say that again. Um, and that means how we manage has to change. So every, how we manage ourselves, how we manage our projects – how we manage in the organization, because we have more capabilities now than we ever used to have. And you took advantage of that, of those changes to say, oh, I don't want to be left behind. Yeah. Fine. You might say it's out of fear. I don't think it's out of fear. Well, curiosity too. Yeah. 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 Um, and that, that is, and I don't know if your, uh, if your clients, um, dragged you kicking and screaming into this. I suspect they did not. I suspect you got, as you said, curious and you decided it was time to really investigate. So here we are. 
Yeah. And that was, so for those of you that weren't noticing, that was the perfect segue that was just laid out. It was beautiful. It was very skillful, (laughs) but I want to, I don't want to pick it up yet. I want to ask you one more question before we leave this topic. I agree with you that high speed internet and the, and the, I would say high speed internet and the way that the machines are able to like the hard drive space or where and how we store stuff has changed everything. I'm feeling like maybe the pandemic is going to have as deep an impact in that I'm already seeing changes in how people interact, um, how we work together, how we're going to, how we team is going to have, if this thing continues for a while, it's going to have a deeper footprint than if it just disappears right away. And I think with like high speed internet with zoom, if we all have to learn how to be on video all the time, which people are starting to come to grips with, that can be a pretty big change too. So, Think about the meetings you used to go to when everybody was back in the office, right? You were yeah. essentially on video, except, except you, you couldn't see yourself. So I didn't get focused on the fact that I had a bad hair day or not. <laughs> so, yes. I mean, uh, be, a meeting is the same as being on video. I think what's different is literally seeing yourself all the time. And yeah, you can think- you can have multiple conversations. You can be texting and chatting yeah. and and doing a whole bunch of things at once. Well, and with the people in your meeting, especially if you're using a back channel. Yeah. 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 And how cool Which- would it have been in those meetings if you could have just suddenly hit a button and disappeared from the room and like <laughs> gone to the bathroom or gotten a snack or just jumped around because you were tired? <laughs> yeah. Well, um, I I think that, so you've been, I, I know you've been teaching classes all yeah. through this pandemic. I, I've been teaching classes also, and I, I invite people to say, um, well, to actually stand up, stretch, um, and they don't have to do this on my time. They can do this whenever they want to. So, so I taught a pro, an agile project management workshop, and there was a guy who was um, stretching, and then he would throw a ball from one hand to the other. He did all kinds of stuff, and I I actually asked him at one point, um, "Is it okay if I ask you to lead a little?" Activity. Oh, where, no, I asked him Could this privately because <laughs> no, no, because oh. I thought I thought that this was he was involved, he was engaged, yeah. he was not yawning. Yeah. Yeah. So, and some of the other people really needed to move around. And I, I take breaks every 45 minutes, but even so, if if the baby has been screaming and the dog needs yeah. to go out, yeah, I mean, we're um it's not so much the work from home. It's the fact that we are at home trying to work. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's true. I, I also think that there's a a very therapeutic aspect. Like if I could have brought my cat to all those meetings, the way that she comes yeah. to all my classes. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. But the, I mean, that is, it's changing what I expect of people when I interact with them and changing what I, what I consider to be normal. I was on a call yesterday for four hours and there was a woman who was taking care of her, her daughter's baby. And she was like changing diapers while we were on the call. And I didn't even think about it until afterwards. I'm like, wow, you would never see that in an office. (laughs) No. And I, I, so I've been working long enough that we, I was at the, at the start of, Call everybody by their first name, regardless of where they are in the hierarchy. Okay. Right? And now, now that we see actually people in their homes, and we see the cats and the dogs and the babies and husbands and wives and kids, I mean, I think that uh, we actually understand each other more. Yeah. It's very humanizing. Oh, yeah. I mean, I... I don't remember the last time my husband um, uh, put it, stuck his head inside my office. He normally bangs on the door like bang, 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 <laughs> <laughs> which is fine. I I know he's here, but yeah. um, the the oh, the one time I was not using my headset, he banged on the door. Oh, 
that was interesting. So I asked him to come in and be introduced to the people I was on Zoom with. And he said, I don't want to. I said, no, 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 you banged. You now come in. So they know I, I'm, I don't live with an ogre. Yeah. <laughs> I live with a very nice guy who bangs on the door. So, yeah. Well, that's cool. Yeah, that is. It's it's neat to me how it's changing. But thank you for entertaining all my questions about that. We should talk about your library that you're offering. <laughs> what the new books? So yeah. yeah, let's start out with the three because the segue, in case people m- missed it, was you were kind of laying out the idea of these three books um, about different aspects of leadership. Is that is that a fair way to say it? Well, I I think of them as management. Because, okay. um, see, I don't actually see a difference between management and leadership. Really? I think, uh, oh, I think that if you are not also a leader as a manager, I, you're, you're an administrator. You're not a manager. Okay. Right? Because I think that managers lead and serve others. They don't control others. They don't have others. They support other people. Yeah. So if you're if you're not supporting them, I don't think you can call yourself a manager. But you could and be a leader realize, without being a manager, right? Oh yes. Okay. Oh yes. Okay. Yeah. Um, but I I I think that. So I wrote these books because I said, why why is the state of management so horrible in all of my clients? Not because my clients are horrible people. The people were great, but the people felt so hemmed in by the organization and by the environment in the organization. Oh, it's really, it was really horrible. So I said, they they need to know this stuff. So I wrote these, I wrote a myth a month and the Techwell people published them. And I thought, oh, I'll just collect them all. Yeah, notice that just. <laughs> and um, I, I will just collect them all and I will have the books uh, last year, right in, in 2019. Right. And then when I realized, um, no, people actually needed more than just the myths. They, didn't, they needed to know what to do instead. So yeah. that took me a little while longer. And then okay. and then in COVID times, I realized, oh, my goodness, we need this even more than ever. So that's when I, I didn't, I didn't do a full pivot, but I added a few more things so that people would realize that as we, I, I really think that the world of work is totally changing. The idea that all of us will ever go back to the office all at one time. Yeah. I don't think that's going to happen. Which has a, if that's true, that's going to have a massive impact beyond just us not going to the office. Because like I'm in New York City, all these office buildings are empty. Yeah, You don't need them anymore if nobody goes back, if everybody's working from home. I mean, I heard, so we have somebody in the building who works at Google and I think they were told till like late spring, they're going to be working from home. Yeah. If so, not longer. Yeah. yeah. So I, I actually think that we need to start thinking as a society, how do we repurpose buildings if we literally are not going to use them? Now, um, let me take a little detour into distributed work. When okay. Mark and I wrote, wrote the book, Mark we actually, Mark Hilby, From Chaos to Successful Distributed Agile Teams, we actually said in the book, don't go longer than a quarter without getting everybody together. Yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah. Um, it's good intention. Not, good intention. Not Fortunately, really... there's a lot of WeWork office space that's available for that right now. Well, <laughs> the, so getting together as a team, getting together as a division, getting together as an entire organization, I think that, that all of that kind of depends on what you need to do to get together. And not everybody needs exactly the same things. Yeah, that's true. But I I really think that we have we have an opportunity to remake society, to remake work, to remake everything 
and and make it better. Well, so that kind of goes to, to me to the thing you just said a few minutes ago about you're working with these, you know, managing people that that some things like skipping the record and there's an opportunity to completely transform what we're doing, but a lot of people are so transfixed on holding it to the way that it was that, I mean, how do you pry their fingers off that one? Um, I, I actually think that uh, people doing the work will pry their fingers off. Okay. So, um, so for example, I was a software engineer back in the seventies and eighties and one of the things I did was machine vision and robotic systems. I, I worked for three different machine vision manufacturers. We had special purpose equipment and special purpose computers. We don't need that anymore. Yeah. And if, if we are serious about having manufacturing back in the U.S., it cannot be people doing low... Um, low investment, low value work. It has to be people doing, um, leading the robots to do the work. So, um, and we have low code environments now. I fully expect that people on the factory floor will be quote programming, end of quote, um, for creating more uh, availability in the robots to do the various kinds of manufacturing that we need. That changes what manufacturing looks like. That changes what software developers do. And I'm I'm talking about entire software teams, not not just programmers. Um, And it changes what the people doing the manufacturing do. We raise everybody's um, ability up, up a level. You can't see my hands, I'm going up. You can probably hear it in my voice. (laughs) Uh, And that's just one thing that I'm very excited about. Now, what do you measure there? You don't measure. Wait, hold on a second. I want to, before we measure, I want to talk about the job because the job changes then too, because, you know, like you were saying earlier that um, you can't be a manager without being a leader. And I think there might be some people back from the early days of Mr. Taylor who would say, no, the manager's job is to make them more efficient and very command and control, literally manage them like they were things that you're moving around. But if what you're saying is true, then the manager's job becomes helping them rise. Oh, yeah. So here's the thing. I I see a manager's job as understanding and clarifying what is the actual purpose of the work. I suspect that there are way too many people who do not understand their purpose, right? Some manager or project manager or somebody, God forbid, a scrum master said, you, Dave, you do this little tiny thing and you take that assignment and you go and do it. And then you, you finish it and you check it in or you test it or you do whenever. And then you say, oh, Mr. Manager, may I have some more? That's crazy, right? But if you tell people the purpose of the work, the reason why they're doing this thing, people will say, oh, I have really good ideas. We could, I could do this, and especially with my team, I could do this better than what you are asking me to do. And that's when managers say, oh, and they, they take their... Um, their ego, and they hold it close, and they say, "Okay, right. This is the, this is the fear again." Yeah. Um, but if you if you can acknowledge that fear and say, "Okay, thank you. Let let me see it like tomorrow," <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, don't go open loop, but tell me, invite me into what you're doing. Wow, help, that's help really empower. Yeah. yeah, you extend trust. That's actually empowerment. That's what I mean by empowerment. So do you think then that, uh, I'm wondering if the, the fear that they used to have was, if I don't know better than this person, what, what good am I? Like I have, it's my job to be smarter than this person to now the job is, and I would say the most inspiring people that I have had to report to have done this. Um, 
their job is to to create a space for me to fill and support me as I do it, but also let me know, like, dude, that's yours. Go figure that out. Um, yep. and, and then get out of the way. I have to yes. be brave enough to fill the space, but they have to not be worried about not being the ones filling the space. And that, when you make that transition, and especially I, I see this in first-line managers where they were a technical person, a senior technical person on Tuesday and a manager on Wednesday. Yeah. Yeah. And, and no training, right. no, no, no explanation of what they should do. Um, that, that's really hard because it's hard to let go of being the doer. Oh, well, and especially if the rewards in the organization are still all about here's um, your job is to make sure your people do this thing. So when your people do this thing, you will get a reward. That's crazy. But it's it's what we have. Yeah. So can we start with the first book and talk about that a little sure. bit? Yeah. So yeah. when you talk about managing yourself, what's are you referring to something specific there? Is it sort of like an all around keep yourself sane, be productive, help other people be productive, or is there a specific focus? So it's a it's a specific focus on getting yourself out of the uh, out of the middle of the work. Um, okay. How do you how do you see the system? How do you help the system in your in your team or group? Um, work for the people in your team or group? How can you create psychological safety so that people can actually do a job and know that they are succeeding? And this is, I mean, there's all kinds of stuff. There's autonomy, mastery, and purpose, uh, all, all, that, all that stuff. And I, I find that when managers, especially... Uh, at any level, say, instead of focusing on resource efficiency, on on efficiency of a single person, if yeah. I create this harmonic whole, that's the team or the work group, and I focus on the system and the, quote, efficiency of that system, then I am doing my job as a manager. So it's I I I never say in the books don't micromanage because you know you know the problem with the don't in front of it, <laughs> right? That that turns into the thing right behind the don't. So I focus on here's how you can encourage flow efficiency. Here's how you can see the system. Here's how you can teach people how to offer each other feedback and coaching. So it's not just manager-led feedback and coaching, but it's feedback and coaching in in the team itself. Okay. Can I ask a question about this? Of course. I got kind of hung up when you said see the system because I was just suddenly thinking like, that's probably one of the hardest parts right there is uh, my job has been to turn the wrench and now I'm supposed to take like 50 steps back and see everything and understand how these things work. But if I can do that... Then I might say, hey, there's a section over there. It looks weird. Hey, team, can you figure out like you, I would really like to have the team feel compelled to take ownership of becoming more efficient on their own. I don't even want to have to say that to people. I want to create an environment where they're like, we, that is our job is to be better every day. But if I say in that section, can you go check that out? That mm -hmm. maybe they could find a way to make it more efficient. And this is why I actually suggest to the manager that the manager um, look at his or her system by mapping their personal value stream. What do you how mean by many, that? So how long does it take you to make a decision? Okay. Um, think about uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna wander off into the project portfolio here. Alrighty. So I'm ready. <laughs> you know me. Yeah. yeah. So so you get ready for the project portfolio meeting and maybe you you have to give estimates to your manager or maybe you are a middle manager and 
you somebody wants estimates. So you go and ask the teams, how long is this going to take you roughly? The teams don't want to give you an answer, but they spend a whole bunch of time trying to figure this out. And then, so you have started on discussing the project portfolio, call it April 1st. And then, okay. and then you don't have the meeting until May 1st. You don't make a decision until the end of May. And, and on June 15th, your managers finally approve the project portfolio. That <laughs> For the you, thing that was due two months ago. And, and <laughs> look at, I mean, look at it. So yeah. you started April 1st, you end up June 15th. And all of those, all of that time in between, most of it was delays. Most of it. You could have, you could have assumed, just take the first three projects off the list and finish them. I mean, you might have had a better result. But isn't so, that beyond the scope of the manager? I mean, they can't change that organizational top-down decision-making well, about how, what to do for the company. If, if they are a middle manager, they, they can show their managers okay. the cycle time for that decision. Okay. And the number of hours of work time versus the number of hours of wait time. When, and, and you do this at any level for all, the, uh, for all of your activities. And this goes back to that. I don't even remember what it is, but I know there's a statistic about decision-making time being the thing that kills everything yeah. if it's too slow. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So we want to know how to optimize the flow of decision-making so that we can create a space for the teams to do what they do sooner yeah, and then get stuff in the hands of our customers and increase our feedback loop so we can deliver better product more often, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yes. Okay. So, and, and this works regardless of your life cycle, although you know me, I'm much more, I'm much more, interested in agile approaches than non-agile approaches. But even if you had a three-month uh, phase gate, if you, can, if, if you as a manager could see your cycle time for all of the decisions you have to make, you would change your behaviors. Yeah. Are there parallels in non-work life that this that you can think of that this would tie back to? I'm sure. <laughs> okay. I'm just I'm just trying I was trying to think if I could come up with one really quick and I can't, but um Well, I'm gonna tease you a little bit. Okay. And because you started off um teasing me a little bit about yeah, I've my, had it. Well, Bring about it. Well, my I, that's a Philly hug. I'm ready for my <laughs> Philly hug. Mock me. So so don't make me cough. Um, <laughs> so, so I actually track the number of words I write every single day. Okay. I don't track um, the finished, the finished um, books or articles or stuff. I just track the words because if I don't have words, I can't make anything finished. Yeah. So that's the same as a decision for a manager. Got to make decisions. And not not let them take forever. Um, even if you make a decision and you know you're going to change it later, or you suspect you'll change it later, you can say, "This is my decision for now." So I track my word counts every day. And if I if I have a week like the one I had last week, where I only wrote 2,500 words right. instead of my normal week, where I write eight to nine thousand words, I know there's something wrong with me. So I think there's I had, something wrong with the rest of the universe if you're writing nine thousand words a week, <laughs> an hour a day, an hour a day. Right. Wow, so that's awesome. Well, keep writing forward. We we can have a different discussion but, about well, that later. But but the momentum of that. I mean, I guess yes. my parallel to that would be like meditation. I'm I'm almost made it through an entire year where I've meditated every single day, and sometimes it's great. Sometimes it's just I'm distracted the whole time, whatever, but that momentum carries me forward. 
Right. So the habit of doing this. Yeah. Right. You have you have uh, an a reinforcing feedback loop where you have a specific habit, and it makes everything in your life better. Yes. When uh, I I actually track my cycle time for um for responding to emails because there are some really? things I I well yeah I I'm not very good at inbox zero. Uh, I'm, I'm really not. Wait, Let's wait. just. I'm gonna make you laugh. My inbox right now, eight thousand three hundred and five. Un, eight thousand three hundred and five unread emails. Oh my! Oh, oh. okay. I uh, next to you, I look. I look <laughs> wonderful. I only have fourteen unread. Wow. I do have eight hundred and seventy-six messages, so okay. I need. I need to go through it and prune. I'm not very good at that, but. But I find that um, there are certain things I really want to jump on and reply to. So the way I manage this is I do email three or f- maybe four times a day. I do email first thing in the morning. The pull of email is very strong with this one. Okay. Um, <laughs> and I, I often do I often mm. do email right after lunch. And then when I'm I, I don't have that much energy before supper. Because I'm hungry, okay, and I want my husband to come home and make me dinner. So, so I I tend to do email at the end of the day, also. Okay, and and that's how I kind of keep up with it. Uh, I I don't keep up with it as much as I would like, but it's it's better than it used to be. So. Um, the fact that I don't have that many unread emails, and we are recording this after lunch, I yeah. did not get to my my email reading after lunch, so wow. I I still have a bunch. But yeah, yeah. So do you have? It sounds to me like I have a, a list of things that I sort of have to do every day that are like self maintenance, like meditate, play my guitar, stuff like that. It sounds like you have a bunch of practices like that too that are part of keeping you on top of whatever you need to stay on top of to feel like you're moving forward and being productive. Oh yeah. Yeah. Some of them are only once a week. Most of them are daily. Okay. Yeah. It's, it's funny to me when you said you track those things, I'm like, wow, that's weird. And then I think about all the stuff I track. I'm like, Oh, that's even weirder. And then I wonder like, what about people who don't track anything? That sounds like crazy time to me. Like the routine of looking at those things, you know, I don't know. There's something about that, that that I think kind of helps me hold it together, especially when stuff's all crazy like it is now. Yeah. Yeah. I, I find that. So I always make time to read at least two or three times a day. And I'm talking about reading fiction, not yep. reading. I do an I, hour I read, a day. Yeah. I read a tremendous amount of nonfiction. Well, I tend to skim it, um, but I, I read a lot of nonfiction. But the fiction, I read first thing in the morning when I get up, and I often read at lunchtime. I de- I always read just before I go to bed. I often read um, at night, well, especially if my husband is watching football, because this football season is quite strange right now. Yes. So, yeah. <laughs> and, and that, so. I'm assuming, refreshes you, changes what you're thinking about, makes you ready to move on to the next thing. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. So does this stuff, I mean, to me, this is all about self-management as well. That's what I was wondering if that, if that's part of this or if that's just stuff that you do, is it part of what's in the book or is this things that you've figured out that you just need to do? Well, most of this is stuff I need to do for myself. Um, okay. When I think about the principles for managing yourself there, that's much more well, I try and build empathy with people. Okay. Um, you know me. I'm 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 a brain first, not a heart first person. <laughs> my my husband likes to say he has smoothed off all my rough edges. <laughs> um, I'm not sure he has done enough smoothing. I was um, <laughs> I I discovered all kinds of stuff, um, baking supplies. I I I've been low carbing for many many years, okay. and I realize I realized I had a variety of sugar in a particular um, um, drawer in the kitchen, and I took it all out this morning and I said, 
um, I can give this to our younger daughter. And he said, um, not yet. They're moving in three weeks. I said, oh, yeah. He said, if you do that, if you give them to her, you will make her cry. And I thought, oh, no, you're right. Yeah. So I'm still working on the empathy part. So, yeah. All right. No. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Okay. So so you've got, why are there three books together? So a lot of people think that when you manage other people, it's about uh, what I'm calling serving and leading others or leading the entire organization. <clears throat> and you'll notice that the very first book is managing yourself. Yeah. And that's, that's because if you cannot manage yourself, even if you're oblivious like I am, you have no business managing other people. You just but, but you have found ways to compensate for that. Your husband, if he has more empathetic awareness, then he is there to help you. Well, and I have little checklists for myself at work. And, and that was the other <laughs> thing I was going to go to was those lists, those things that you track. To me, they're part of how you fill in the gaps for that stuff, how you hold on oh, to yeah. the pieces that are hard to hold on to. Yeah. So when I, when I had one-on-ones with people... I put them in my calendar at the same time every week, making sure that I was not going to disrupt anybody else's schedule, but knowing that if I did not put them in my calendar, um, somebody else would try and take that time, time yeah. and I would not actually be able to lead and serve others. If I, if I didn't offer enough feedback or create a space for the team to be able to offer feedback and coaching for themselves, I was going to be in a pickle okay. when it, when it came time to being able to, um, to do uh, performance reviews, which are just stupid. And I totally recommend <laughs> against them. I mean, um, if I did not encourage experiments, I like I how you just kind of like grab the fork and just twist it into the side there and okay. move on. So, no, I, <laughs> so I, I will talk about experiments maybe later. <laughs> Let's talk about performance reviews. I've been a consultant for over 25 years. Yeah. I don't, I didn't get a, re, a performance review, even my last year of work. So I have not had a formal performance review in at least 26 years. And You're here not I the am. Kind of, right, but, but, well, actually, I'm going to fight my own argument. There's people who are so busy driving themselves that they don't need other people saying, this is where you need to focus this is what you need to focus on. And I think there's people that wait to be driven, but it would be ideal if we could get everybody to not, maybe this is the point. We don't all need performance reviews. We've taught ourselves that some people do. Yes. And that's what we have to let go of. And that goes back to that trust thing you just brought up a few minutes ago. Yeah. Wow. So it, if you think about it, I mean, I'm not going to ask you how many performance reviews you've had in the last um, X years, where X is lar- longer than I don't even remember the last time I had an actual performance review. Yeah. But I have conversations with the people I report to and we talk about it all the time, but it's a, it's a frequent, it's a pretty open dialogue. It's not like it has to be scheduled and set aside. We just talk about that stuff all the time. So you, you get feedback. Yeah. 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 I get feedback from my clients. <laughs> Some of it is quite good. Some of it I think, oh boy. Yeah. So you mean I'm human. But I, I what's really important is that if we if if we think about what people need, people need to know when they're doing stuff right. We do not spend enough time acknowledging when people do stuff right, we just do not. And um, and if I, so I, I had a feedback conversation at a yearly review that changed the course of my life. One of them, my boss said to me, um, you don't finish the projects. You get them 96% of the way, 97%, 98%. That last little bit over the finish line uh, you don't do that. I said, oh, 
was it just this most recent project? Because that uh, we had very short projects at that time. Okay. And he said, no, it was every single project this year. And I said, why did you wait to tell me? I mean, that's something I can do something about. So yeah. we've talked about my little checklist already in this in this conversation. And I, I suspect in, in many previous conversations, yeah. Yeah. I'm a checklist person because I hate to finish. I just hate it. I'm... I'm mentally done with that thing. I don't want to spend any more time on it because I am done. And you're I'm a not... former developer. You are one of the sources of done and done done then. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So, so uh, that's one of the reasons I have checklists. If I nice. finish my checklist, and I, I did this as a developer, if I finish my checklist, I'm honest to God done. And in before I finish my checklist, I'm on my way to done. I don't have done and done, 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 and yeah, I don't do all those. Yeah. Um, I either am done or not done. This is why for years and years now, I've been using, I've been talking about and using inch pebbles. Inch pebbles are one or two day tasks that are either done or not done. Huh, I've not heard of that. Before. Yeah. Okay. Oh, you didn't read manage it. <laughs> I guess not. It's okay. So, I mean, one to two day stories have taken the place of inch pebbles, which is fine because I am one of those, I love milestones. I love the big picture. What yeah. gives you the momentum? Yeah. And I need something that makes me finish something every single day to get there. Okay, so I'm gonna, this is another weird diversion. Does that create an addiction to finishing things? And do you ever find that you're putting stuff in the list just so you can mark it off? Oh, yes. Is that bad? No. Okay. It's wonderful. I mean, not everybody really loves the satisfaction of crossing something off their list. I love it. Okay. So, so let me pop back up the stack because we were talking yeah. about performance reviews and feedback. And this I this is said a really I, fun interview. I just want to pause for a second and say I'm having a really good time. <laughs> oh, good, good. So, I mean, I got that feedback, and then after I actually changed my behavior yeah. when I when I learned how to make these checklists so I could get to done, then my boss actually said. Oh, great job finishing. Now, he did not use the formal, when you finish, I really appreciate that for this reason. Yeah, fine. I, I, got, the, I got the acknowledgement that I was doing something really good. So, because yeah. that's a behavior I could easily change. Now, I've, uh, I, I also got feedback that I was, quote, too blunt and direct from one of my managers. Um, huh. I was, I know, this is such a surprise. So, so well, I the actually fact said, that it's what's, what's surprising to me, and I know I'm, you were joking and I'm being serious about it, but it's always surprising to me that that's considered a negative. Because exactly. to me, like I have the working agreement with the guy that I'm partnered with at work that we will offer feedback in, immediate and direct ways without any concern for the other person's feelings because neither one of us wants to waste time trying to figure out what the other person was saying. So I might... Um, it's a little harsh, but... Well, I, I would actually appreciate that. What I, I ended up discussing this with him, and of course, it was all about the fact that I was female. In, in a man, I would have been assertive. Okay. But, yeah, as yeah. a as a woman, I was um, bitchy. Yeah. yeah, I was. I was not sure I could actually say that word. So you can so, see you would be surprised at what people say in this podcast. <laughs> uh, so, so what I did, I did actually get some good information from that, which is people have a hard time hearing me if I'm too harsh. Okay. So that I I have been working on my harshness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm. It's probably still too harsh. But it However, may not be your harshness. It's I how find, you're encoding the message. Well, yeah, because I, I need to be able to say this thing 
whatever it is, especially the senior managers. Yeah. Senior managers really need to hear the truth. And um, as a consultant, I work with senior managers all the time. They need the truth. They have, they sometimes have a hard time hearing it. Yeah. So if I can encode the, the message that I want in words and phrases that allow them to hear me, now I'm talking. Okay. And but that, that business of, of a performance review, yeah, doing that for me, yeah, no. I want to I want to add one thing that's totally a little bit out of context now. But before we move on to the third book, I just want to throw this in there. Um, the thing that I one thing that I picked up that had a massive impact on me. I had my first job in a restaurant when I was in college, and everything I did, people thanked me for, like my coworkers. Like not just, you know, you said telling somebody did a good job was important. For me, hearing somebody else thank me for what I did, I was like, why are you, this is my job, why are you thanking me? But just that gesture of kindness or appreciation had a massive impact on my motivation and my desire to be there for people. Yep. Yeah, and that that appreciation is is what we don't have enough of in the organization. We just don't. Yeah. All right. Sorry for that digression. I appreciate you helping me out with it. So the innovation, <laughs> innovative, innovative, blah, blah, innovative organization. That's your yeah. next topic. Yeah. Yeah. Because book one was manage yourself. Book two was lead and serve others. Um, book three is about leading an innovative organization. Okay. And so I, I mean, maybe my role as a consultant helps me hear things that um, other people don't hear. I think that this is entirely possible. But what I what I hear is that senior managers, middle managers say, I really want to um, ask the people to innovate. We need innovative products. We need innovative services. We need innovative everything. And I said, okay. How fast are you able to change anything in the organization? Just pick one thing. How fast can you do this? And that's when they say, oh, let's not go there. <laughs> so they're, they're managing for the status quo. They're not managing for change. And, well, it's, I mean, I, I they want to be skinny and in shape, but they don't want to go to the gym. Yeah. So I I often I I think this year I've changed everything about my about my company, except the name. Okay. Right. I mean I've changed I've changed I moved from um two or three day on site workshops to um I offer the same workshops, but I changed the organization of the workshop, and I focus on making them really worthwhile when I offer them online. So instead of Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday all day, I often, I, uh, I ask my clients, can we please do this Monday and Thursday for a couple of hours with a, four, with a break of 45 minutes, and then you will do a little bit of homework in between. So the reason we do it Thursday morning is so you have time Thursday afternoon and Friday in preparation for Monday morning. And yeah. we talk about, is it Monday and Wednesday? Is it Monday and Thursday? I mean, I've totally changed my workshops and I, I'm getting better results. I, I might not ever go back to online, uh, I should say the in-person three-day workshops because people need the time to practice. Yeah. And if we can build in the time to practice that's not a part of the workshop, they actually get much better results. Now, there's a whole separate conversation about will they actually do the homework? Yeah, yeah, fine. Um, but if you manage for change, if you say instead of the status quo, instead of taking a conservator stance, in the yeah. organization. How can I manage for change? How can I 
help our organization do more experiments faster and learn from them. And decide which experiments need to be done, I would imagine. Because, I mean, yeah, you'd have to prioritize what area you want to focus on, right? So this is why the purpose is so important. Right. And the larger the organization, the more diffuse the purpose. Yeah. So people in large organizations are are often more like conglomerates. This division division one has a, a particular purpose. Division two has a complementary purpose, but it's not the same. Division three has a totally different purpose altogether. Division four, you know, might be out in left field. Yeah. So compared to divisions one and two, right? So it's really important to say, what, who are our customers? Why are we doing this work? What is the purpose behind this? What is our overarching goal in this particular place in the organization? Yeah. And that's, that's where you can say, oh, we can do some experiments here. I was on a call earlier today with a client who was complaining about the fact that the teams had too much to do. And one of the comments was, there's not enough hours in the day. And my response was, there's plenty of hours in the day. You just don't know what stuff you're supposed to do in those hours. But they had no yeah. clarity from management about which of the 10 P1 projects had to be done first. So because there was no clarity on what managed, mattered the most to the organization. The people who were doing the work couldn't figure out what they were supposed to do. And I think if you were, I mean, do you think it's fair to say that in a truly innovative organization, they're going to have clarity on that up and down the food chain? Like what is our primary thing we're trying to achieve here? What are we willing to do to get it? Absolutely. Absolutely. And the reason they can do that is because they don't have to decide for an entire year. Right. In fact, a lot of my clients who are really being innovative are deciding for a month at a time. Right. They don't do quarterly OKRs. In fact, they don't do OKRs at all. That's a different problem. Um, okay. But they, they say to people, uh, we want you to work as teams. We want you to um, talk to each other across the organization. We Here's our purpose for our customers. Here's our overarching goal for now. And we might, we might change that overarching goal given the results of our experiments. Um, we, how, can we, how can we figure out what to do best if we yeah. understand what, who we serve, our customers, and how we get there, which is our goals. Okay. Yeah. Now, did they, you said that person came to you and said they, want, they needed their organization to be more innovative. Yeah. Um, when I hear people say that their company needs to move to Agile, my first question is always why? Mm-hmm. Does there have to be a why for innovation too, or is it just a given that everyone's supposed to be innovative now? Oh, I think everybody has to start with the why. Okay. If you if you don't start with the why, you don't understand <laughs> why you're doing this. Yeah. I mean, what's the purpose? And um, this particular organization that I'm thinking of is realizing finally that their current customer base is decreasing. They won't have a business in three to five years if they don't change their customer base. So this is not about SWOT analysis. It's it's really about uh, a strategy at a deep, deep level. It's understanding who who do we want as our customers, and how can we serve them in the best possible way. That will clarify your purpose for the why. Because if you don't if you don't understand that, you're not ever going to get anywhere. Yeah, and you got all the way back to my fear thing. Yeah. Someone's going to drink your milkshake. I, I don't know. I, to me, guilt and fear are, I mean, I grew up in a Catholic school. So fear and guilt are like prime motivators, motivators for action of everything. I, they're maybe not psychologically healthy, but they get you up out of your chair. So uh, <laughs> a colleague several years ago, and I cannot remember who said this, maybe I read in one of the influencer change books, said that um, people 
have uh, when when people undergo a crisis, when they're in it, when they're in a crisis, or when they're fearful of losing everything, that's when they will change. And yeah. I, I think that a lot of people are like that. Then there are people like me who say, "Oh, I've been doing this for a while. Let's change everything." <laughs> Let's just tip the card over to see what happens. Yeah. So <laughs> I I try and do it in the small first. Yeah. Right. I mean, I until until the pandemic, I was still quite happy going to clients, doing my workshops there, um, traveling the world. I was in I was in England and Germany in the first couple months this year. So wow. I I was already I started 2020 thinking I would keep doing what I had been doing. Yeah. But now I have an opportunity to do it differently. It's it's going to be weird when this is over because most of the people I talk to that were on the road all the time are like, yeah, I'm not doing that again. Um, it's going to be you weird. Know, well, and I am, I am really happy. So I, I was counting up the number of talks I had done this year. And I'm up to something like 20, and we're only in October. Wow. So, I know. I I don't normally, because I normally have to go places, I don't normally quite do that many in a given year. Okay. I mean, I, I, do, I speak a lot, right? But, um, and I've been doing a whole, I know, you're laughing at me. Um, I really love to speak. Give me a microphone. I'm a very happy woman. But I, I, I limited my trips to Europe, to um, to Israel. I haven't been to New Zealand and Australia in way too long. I would really love to go there. Um, but I, I've been doing all these virtual talks. Yeah. And I've been really enjoying them. I, I apologize for laughing. I was laughing because I was thinking five books, 20 talks. Yeah, I really need to do more stuff every day. Um, isn't there a party that just, I mean, we, we can wrap up in a moment, but isn't there a party that wants you just have to have to go sit in an airport for a couple hours and just be quiet by yourself in an airport? No. No, really? I have moments no. where I'm like, man, I just, I could just go sit in an airport for a while. So, 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 well, so this is very interesting. My husband has been, um, nudging me to see if I will go on vacation with him. He's an avid skier and he's okay. planning on going to Colorado in January for skiing. And I said, um, I'm not going. He said, why not? I said, cause we have to go through airports and people breathe and sneeze and they don't wash their hands in airports. Yeah. I mean, I, I go to all, I only go into the ladies room. I don't know what it's like in the men's room, there are way too many people who don't wash their hands after they're done in the bathroom. Oh God. So and those and people should be shamed. Yes. 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 All right. Good. Those we agree people on that. should be yes. shamed. Okay. Yeah. So, so <laughs> I'm really, ah, it's yeah. horrible. So um, I don't, I don't want to go to an airport until we have some kind of cure of vaccine. Yeah. I just don't. I, I'm, I was assuming, I mean, I don't want to go to one now but I want there to be, to be okay to go to one. Oh, yes. And if we could get matter transporters, yeah, I would be all in. <laughs> all in. Until somebody else doesn't wash their hands and then gets in the matter transporter and there's their... Yeah, but their germs yeah. will go with them. Hopefully, yeah. hopefully. Yeah. All right. This is really cool. So the other, do you want to say anything about the other books before we move on, before we close out? So I have a book about uh, a short book about writing a conference proposal um, that if you, if you or other people are thinking about proposing new talks at any time, you should use the ideas in that book. And right. I'm writing a book about uh, becoming a successful consultant. I need to do the cover. And I realize I have one more chapter about speaking truth to power. So. I need to write that chapter that and when I'm told I'm not, I'm not, I'm not doing anything more with those books. You can't see me. I have my hands in front of, <laughs> in front of the computer going, um, no, more. no, no, no. Like the yeah. garlic and the vampires. I'm not doing anything <laughs> more with anything else until I finish the, 
the Modern Management Made Easy books. I'm in proofing right now for book one. The indexer is doing her thing. And then I'll I'll start in with the audio. There's all kinds of stuff. But um, I need to, I am focused on finishing. I My checklist is only partly done. I'm not allowed to start anything new until I finish <laughs> this these books. But the good news is people don't have to wait to pick up these books because they can go to Lean Pub. And I'll yeah. put links to all of them, and they can pick them up right now. Yes. Cool. And what if they want to learn more about you? What's the best way to track you down? So um, my my regular site is jrothman.com, J-R-O-T-H-M-A-N.com. I also write on createadaptolife.com because I live with vertigo. I mean, you've seen me. I yeah. My little rollator and I go everywhere. <laughs> so. So it's pretty funny, but it's, you know, um, and I, I assume I will continue to go places after the pandemic when it's safe. Hopefully next summer I'll get to see you at the Agile conference. I hope so. Um, I want to offer you one one more word of thanks. So I have been kind of bumming out about not being able to talk to everybody at the Agile conference. And I'm just sort of sitting here thinking like, man, that sucks. I miss doing those interviews. And then you sent me that email and you inspired me to reach out to a bunch of people. So I haven't oh, done good. interviews with most of them, but at least I'm trying to reconnect with them. So I want to thank you for that because you caused me to get up out of my chair and do something. You are quite welcome. I'm so happy about that. I was, yeah. I'm happy too. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's fun. I mean, I always think of, um, when I think of the Agile Conference, I think of um, you because you have this booth somewhere and we often are in the middle of places and we wave to people. Yep. Yeah, it's fun. It's fun. <laughs> it is fun. Well, this was really cool. I'm. Thank you. And this was a great interview. I had a lot of fun. Um. I hope you're able to stay healthy and hopefully you'll get to, maybe things will end and you'll get to go skiing with your husband. That's We can point. hope. Yeah. We can hope. I think right now he's going by himself. Okay. Well, yeah. and if people, you know, we were talking about the news being a drag. If people get tired of the doom scrolling, they can always just look at the political stuff because that'll show you right up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, and so let me just say one thing. Vote. Yes, doesn't matter who you vote right? for. Just vote. It does not matter. <laughs> Just vote. Yes. Yep. Cool. Yes. This was awesome. Thank you, Thank you very much. Thank you. I had such a blast uh, talking with you. Me too. Thanks. Mm -hmm.